Okay, welcome again to Friday Voice. Uh, we have the lovely uh, Katie today presenting on strategies, successful strategies for quieter women. So welcome, Katie. Thank you very much. Which uh, Shall I go ahead and yeah. pile on in myself? Great. Yeah, if you could just introduce brilliant. yourself, okay. that'd be brilliant. Lovely. Well, hello, Andrea, and hello, everyone else who's listening in. My name is Katie Driver, and I help people think. I'm an associate at Voice at the Table, and I run coaching workshops and events for Rena and the rest of the team. And I'm really looking forward to working through this workshop with you today. Um, sorry, uh, you can tell this is the first time we've done one of these. <laughs> that I'm not sure how much to uh, wait for Angie to to uh, to chip in. I think I will just pile on in if everyone's ready to listen. Um, so, as I say, I'm really looking forward to our time today because I think that quieter women have a huge amount to offer, but so often we're just not able to do our best work. I see professional firms spending vast amounts of money hiring people, paying monthly salaries, developing, um, wanting the best from their people, employing them for their quality of their thinking. But so often, the work environment and the working day means it's just impossible to think straight. It's impossible to add that value that you've got. So what I would like to do today is to give you four strategies to help you work in a way that you find fulfilling and sustainable and allows you to do your best work. And hopefully that also means that you can then add the most value to your firm. Before I dive right on in, I'm just, we'll say a tiny bit more about me um, so that you know where I'm coming from. So I've always been a quieter person. I happened across some old school reports a little while ago and uh, a number of them said things like, oh, Katie needs to put her hand up more in class. And that rang very true. And thinking about the reports and the appraisals and things that I used to get at work, it would be, Katie needs to make more of an impact at meetings. So I, I'm just... My preference is to be quieter and to, to think through before saying a lot of things. But I increasingly came to see, as those reports and appraisals developed over time, that there were strengths coming through in there as well. Things about how I was always calm in a, in a crisis, entirely reliable, very well prepared, incisive thinking, strong relationships with partners and the team. And what I began to realize was that I was just doing things differently. I wasn't necessarily doing things the same way as everyone else, but there was a real value to me and the way that I worked. So what I'd like to do today is to share with you some of the strategies that I developed and which have come through in my work with clients. And what I'll do is I'll go through um, each one of them in turn and I'll pause for questions after each one of them. Okay, so let's get started. And I think the first strategy is to recognize your strengths. 
because it's so easy to forget what it is that you do and what's special about you. Um, as I say, as, as my career was progressing, I began to see the feedback that was coming back to me changing. Things like, she doesn't say a lot in meetings, but what she says is worth listening to. And that made me realize there was a real value in me and the way that I did things. And uh, only the other day I was talking to a colleague and she said how much she liked having me in meetings with her because I would sit back for some of the time or metaphorically listening to all the conflicting points, all the things that needed to be said. But she said, I love it when you come in, you come straight in, you get right to the heart of the matter and you help us move things forward. And that was a great validation for the strategy that I was naturally adopting um, to use in meetings. So what are the kinds of strengths that you might have? Well, I see a lot of introverts or quieter people around me. And the sorts of strengths I typically see are about really great listening. Because we're not talking so much, the flip side of that is that we're listening a lot more. I will often go into a conversation with two or three other people um, and I will just notice things and hear things that others didn't pick up on and which might be incredibly valuable. That in turn helps build really deep connections. So I might not know 5,000 people, but I know 50 people really well. I know more than 50 people, but you get the point. It's, it's about building a depth of connection, which is really valuable and long lasting. Um, that considered and incisive thinking is often a real strength. Um, everybody has the capacity to do really great thinking. But there is something about that more reflective approach that allows you to sift through what's going on and come out with the real kind of nugget of, of great information. Um, great preparations and other strength often and having a really deep and eclectic knowledge that old phrase about still waters run deep so often holds true for my quieter friends and colleagues you start having a conversation with them and you realize goodness me they know everything there is to know about some obscure bit of i don't know astrophysics or um, um a particular line of, of history or something that you don't get an inkling of to start with, but you realize there's a real thirst for knowledge and a real depth there. And those sorts of things, that listening, the connections, the, the great thinking, are really strong assets to a team. So I think what I would really ask you to do is to, uh, and in fact, I'll give you a task, first task, is to reflect on the strengths that you have. So ask a trusted colleague or a friend what it is that you do really, really well and get to know what you're good at. And when you're doing that, don't get bogged down in comparing yourself to others and thinking about you know, someone else who says things in meetings or whatever, because often what you do when that happens is you look at the small part of them that they might do particularly well and you're weighing yourself up against you know, a negative part of you or something you feel less comfortable with. Take everybody else off the table talk to that friend or that colleague about what it is that you do really well in your own right. So that first strategy is recognizing your strengths. I'm going to pause there, Andrea, and see whether there's any questions or reflections that have come up so far from people. Yeah, thank you very much, Katie. I was just kind of laughing to myself thinking this is a 
a podcast for quieter women. So it's possible that everybody will be too quiet to speak up. <laughs> so do feel free to put it in the chat privately to me if you want. And, and I'm happy to, to raise any questions or any points. Um, I, I love that first task. I think we, we fail to see a lot of the things that um, we do well. Um, it's just under-recognized half the time. So. Yeah, I think so. And, and, um, and even though I work in an area, you know, the, the coaching requires a, you know, a good coach to spend time understanding themselves and, and how they are, because that's one of the ways that you can work best with your clients. Even though I do quite a lot of self-analysis and reflection, it was really striking having that conversation earlier this week with, with two colleagues and friends who know me well. And the sort of stuff that was coming out, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I never realized I did that or I quite offered that thing. So mm. there's always more to, to unpick and to really get to the heart of, of what you're just fantastically good at. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a correlation between people who are, tend to be reflective and their, I, I don't know, so not pessimism, but slight sort of objectivity. They're, they're less likely to see... Uh, or promote themselves as being great at things. A, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's often true. Mm. I think I'll move on to yeah. the second strategy, which is, not surprisingly, perhaps, if you really know what your strengths are, the next strategy is to use those strengths. Um, it's very tempting to think that when you're particularly in the workplace, that you've got to be some other kind of person um, to assume that just because some of the people around you might be louder, might be tackling meetings and presentations in a particular way, that you need to do the same thing. But actually, in, in any workplace, in any team, it's the variety, it's the difference that really brings the value. So it's about using your strengths in your own way a couple of thoughts to to add here um, or examples if you've got a meeting coming up and you know that preparation is is one of your strengths and you know that you might take a bit of time within the meeting to warm up to the subject and get your head around the point that you really want to make um, ask for the papers if they haven't already come. So you get ahead of the game with your thinking and you're ready to make that incisive contribution on the day. And don't be afraid to argue for this or to, to ask for it. So if your boss or whoever's running the meeting doesn't normally get the papers very out, out very early, why not explain that you really want to make the most of the company's time? You want to make this project a success. You want to make this meeting a fantastic use of everybody's time and you want to get cracking. And that's the kind of conversation that shows you taking initiative and respect for the outcome rather than just turning up and, and hoping for the best. Um, it's not an easy conversation necessarily. It's not perhaps one that you can have every time. But the more you can be thinking, what are my strengths? What is it that I'm really good at? Ah, oh, it's the preparation. It's that thinking. Give yourself the best chance of, of those things happening before you're in that situation. Similarly, I know a lot of quieter people really struggle with networking, although to be honest, I rarely come across anybody, extrovert, introvert, whatever else, who thinks, yay, networking, that's the thing for me. Um, but if you're going networking, 
don't go in there expecting you're going to talk to everyone and hand out 50 business cards and be an incredible kind of life and soul of the party person. Somebody else will do that. Your goal might be to have a target of three or four really good quality conversations and maybe just to leave after that if you can or go and find a quiet place. I've increasingly noticed the more I've been going to networking events that um, my contacts are far more likely to remember that longer, richer, deeper conversation than a two-minute puff from someone who's breezing through the room. You know, I've even been in a, in a kind of a huddle of, of three or four people having a conversation. Someone's come along and said, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such, and given us a kind of two-minute thing, dished out the business cards, and off they've gone. And, and we've kind of looked at each other and thought, what was all that about? It just didn't make any connection at all. So understanding that, that those listening skills, those abilities to, to tap into all sorts of bits of hidden knowledge are actually great for networking. Um, so think of it in a completely different way. It's not about the 50 business card scatter. It's the two or three really good conversations. So I think my um, second task related to that strategy is to try and notice over the next week where your particular approach is adding some real value to your organization and your team. What is it that you do and the way that you do it that adds the real value? And actually, if you get into the habit of doing that, if you jot those things down over time, you can build up the evidence to share with your boss or whoever does appraisals or have conversations about new projects and things about how you do things really effectively. It just might be a little bit different. But if you've got that really compelling evidence, that puts you in a much stronger place to argue for using your strengths and for working in the way that suits you best. So I'm going to pause again there after talking about using strengths to see, Andrea, whether there's anything else coming up in the questions box. Um, yes, we have a question. Um, what part does confidence have to play in being a quieter woman? Great question. Um, confidence um, is actually something that many, many women struggle with, um, whether quieter or not. Um, and it's, it's the reason I started with the, that first strategy of really knowing your strengths. Because I think, certainly for me, the confidence comes from knowing what it is I do well. And if I've got that sorted, and then this next thing of being sure how I can use my strengths in a particular situation. That's again, that's a way of giving me confidence. So I don't think confidence is something that kind of magically appears one day. Um, I think it comes out of that, that self-knowledge and that ability to understand how you add value. Um, I'll go on the next section will be about kind of challenging yourself. And I think in a funny kind of way, that's another way to, to build confidence um to to get comfortable with being a little bit um unfamiliar or in unfamiliar territory um but yeah it's uh, confidence i think is something as i say that comes from that understanding of, of who you are and what you offer uh, as your kind of foundation before you start thinking about how you're going to to ask for anything else and, and challenge yourself i hope that answers the question 
Yeah, I will. I will check. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's that's all. yes. It's it has. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Great. Okay. Very pleased um, to be able to to do that. Shall we move on to the the third point, and then I will yeah yeah think of another question for, for absolutely yeah. So the the third point, the third strategy is about challenging yourself to express your strengths. Now I'm going to be um, not quite controversial here, but you know I I I firmly believe that introversion or a preference for for quietness is not a definition. And it's not an excuse and it's not a constraint. Um, there are times when you're just not going to be able to express your strengths and to use your strengths unless you can also sometimes step out of what feels comfortable for you. I think there's been a bit of a tendency recently for people to use comfort as a proxy for authenticity to say, oh, if it doesn't feel comfortable for me, then it can't be authentic and so I shouldn't do it. I'm all for people being authentic and genuine um, at work and in the rest of their lives. I think you know, that's the whole point of understanding what makes you tick. But I do think that we continually grow and develop and what feels authentic and, and genuine only emerges after you've started to do things and perhaps done them two or three times and tried out different strategies that to start with might feel quite odd but over time you find a way that feels right for you um so i mean for example um you could recognize when you've got a particular extra strength but you only use it in a particular context so I'm, I'm conscious that if I'm with a small group of people that I know quite well, I'm quite noisy, I interrupt, I speak with more volume and more kind of excitement in my voice. So I have that capacity within me. What I don't necessarily do is use it in a work context. So part of challenging yourself is to think well how can I use that quality that I know I have that I know I can express in some situations how can I bring a little bit of that into the meeting where I needed to to make my point a bit more forcefully or into that networking scenario um, it might feel a bit odd to begin with but you're starting from something that already feels a little bit natural to you um, I think another element of this sort of um, challenge is to develop your self-awareness about how you come across to others. I do a number of workshops with, uh, with quieter women and with introvert women and men. And one of the things that we, that typically comes up that people are aware of is that you can, when you're thinking, you can look quite blank. Your face is, is you know, what I would call processing. Um, and I sometimes make a joke about it now. I said, oh, I've, I've got my processing face on. Don't, don't mind me. Um, but I realise as a trainer, it can look quite disconcerting. I can look across the audience and think, gosh, is that person with me or not? I'm not getting any clues. So being aware of how that comes across and being aware that it can slightly wrong foot people um, it gives you then the scope to make a choice. You can carry on 
you being that being that way and that might be entirely valid but also think well is there a way in which I might need to challenge myself so that I've got another strength that needs to come through um to make this sound a, a, to be a bit less abstract um warmth is something that I've increasingly been seeing information about and how warmth and the impression of warmth that you build in another person is really important in building your presence and your influence people naturally warm to other people who feel warm um, you know who are giving the right sort of signals and knowing that you can come across as being a bit cold or distant if you've got that processing face on means mm, is there something that you could do to make make yourself come across a little bit warmer so i work on building some warmth right at the start of a meeting so making sure when i come into the meeting room i've got the smile on my face i greet people i have that great eye contact and build a connection there so i've established that warmth then i can sit in the meeting and i don't have to dial up the volume hugely for the bulk of that time so i can go back into the mode that suits me best of listening and observing and such like and then i can come in with that incisive point and i've built that credibility because of the warmth that i established right at the start so it's challenging yourself about are there some tweaks at the edges that you could introduce that will help you to show your strengths and use your strengths for the rest of the time and a tip I'd offer here is about kind of practicing in a safe context. So I, I'm just, I don't do the small talk thing terribly well, um, or at least I didn't used to, but I felt I wanted to feel more comfortable in that context. And so I spent time just trying to have tiny connections with people who I came across each day. So the shop assistant or the people at the ticket barrier on the tube, just actually looking at them goodness me how many times do we see people and we don't actually even look at them so getting the eye contact perhaps a smile it's all a way of kind of practicing some of those skills in a completely safe environment and it gives you a sense of okay so this feels right to me and this is how I want to do it that you can then bring into a meeting or a more important environment so I think that third strategy is about challenging yourself a bit pushing perhaps to find a different strength or to express it in a different context so that that core value that you can bring actually gets to to have the impact that you need it to so my task that i'd suggest on that one is to think of one small thing that you do feel a bit uncomfortable doing at the moment but you could see might unlock another side another kind of um aspect of, of your work and challenge yourself to to take that step what small thing is it that you might be able to do so that you can work that much more effectively and i will pause for thought there and see if there's anything else coming in from uh the chat box over to you andrea yeah i i love those points um particularly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone uh presenting for example i i definitely class myself as a quieter woman and presenting was something that was outside way outside my comfort zone but the more you do it the more you feel okay this is now becoming part of me so it, it really um i think sort of personal testament to <laughs> that actually <worked. laughs> and actually the presentation is, is interesting i'm um, 
I, I absolutely love uh, TED Talks. Um, and uh, I've also been reading the, the book that Carmine Gallo has written recently about Talk Like TED. She's kind of breaking down some of the, the chunks uh, of good practice that you could draw on for doing presentations. But actually one of the things that really strikes me with with the TED Talks is that there are so many different styles. Mm. You do get some people who kind of come in and they're, they're kind of really moving around on the stage and they're, they're incredibly lively. You get other people who are quieter and perhaps more intense um, and they can be just as compelling. So one of the nice things to do is to, is to watch those different presenters doing things in very different styles. And one of those styles might be one that really stands out and you think, oh yeah, that, that sort of approach could, could uh, work for me. Maybe that's something I could think about or, or bring into to how I do my own presentations. Mm, absolutely. Um, we do have a question um, that's come in. So mm -hmm. um, being sort of increasingly, um, sorry, sorry, being reflective and listening in meetings uh, before contributing can sometimes be perceived as a lack of confidence. And the question is, how can people overcome this? Mm. Yeah, so being reflective, the perception of lack of confidence. Mm. Um, I think there's potentially something in there about how you, you start the meeting, um, that kind of little bit of, of um, chit chat in beforehand how confidently you handle that um, there's an element perhaps in terms of what you look like when you're listening and reflecting whether you are still sitting up at the table perhaps your forearms resting on the table looking engaged in the meeting perhaps nodding um, to signal that you're very much involved in the conversation, even if it's only through body language rather than the points that you're making. Um, and then how do you make those points? So some of the impression of confidence that others might have may be about how you convey the, uh, the point that you're trying to make. So one thing I found quite helpful is when I want to make a point in a meeting, I would jot down perhaps kind of two or three words to remind me what it was that I wanted to say. And then I might actually scribble for myself a sentence or a phrase that I want to use to make that point. So I don't worry when I'm about to open my mouth or when the chair looks my way or whatever. Oh gosh, it's me now. Crumbs, how am I going to say this? Mm. Having that sense of, um, I've been listening to what Fred and Jim and Jane have been saying, and I'm really conscious that we need to move ahead with this part of the project. And I think the most important thing to do is blah. And having that um, punchy, active language, making sure you're not umming and ahhing, no justs, never use the word just. So being able to say, instead of, oh, I just think it's important, either it's important or it's not. Um, so, yeah, think about how you're coming into the room to start with, how you are displaying your interest in the conversation as it develops, and then how do you get that point across with some perhaps slightly more powerful language than you feel comfortable with, but that might be one of those tweaks that is necessary to make sure you get the value of your contribution properly heard and recognised. 
Oh, it's fantastic. I hope those thoughts will be helpful. Oh, thank you. And that's all the questions we have for now. Okay, great. Well, I will go on to the fourth and final strategy, which is about managing your energy. So typically people with an introvert preference gain energy from um, looking within, having that self-reflection and internal focus um, and from quiet time. So often, you know, if you've had a really, really busy day at work, you've had one of those nightmare commutes on the way home, the last thing you want to do is go out to a party. You just want to be kind of on the sofa with the latest box set or, or whatever, um, because that is what it is, the time that's necessary for recharging the batteries. And there is some emerging neuroscience to back that up, which suggests that introverts have a different sensitivity to dopamine, the neurotransmitter, than extroverts might do. They're already quite sensitized within the brain to the amount of dopamine that's already in the system. And the external stimulation just drives that up too much. And you get to the point when you're just absolutely whacked and you can't think straight. So I think it's really important to, to recognize if that happens to you and to make sure that you have quiet time in your day and in your week, which is what you really need if you want to do your best work. Um, so it might be about thinking what's happening just before or just after that big meeting that you want to go into. Are you running into one meeting, having been to three others, or having had some really high-pressure um, phone calls with clients or trying to sort out some problem within the team giving yourself instead a, a two-minute buffer maybe it's even two minutes just going into the ladies when you can just shut off the the smartphone the world around you and breathe it's really really important um, one thing that I've noticed that's an absolute killer for me is if there's, a, if there's a big meeting that I'm going to with two or three other people particularly if they're more noisy people and you pile in the cab together or you, you walk down the corridor together and, and they're kind of chit-chat, chit-chat, oh, this, 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 and it's all the kind of the buzz and, and that's them firing their energy up. That's what they need to do. But I feel sometimes I walk into the room and I'm already drained. So, you know, I would sometimes say, oh, actually, I'll walk over there or oh, I'll join you in a minute or just finding a strategy to lose those people for a moment or two so that you can get into your own headspace. Um, another element of that energy thing, and this is another trap that I so often fell into, is trying to make sure you're using your best time for your most important work. And that includes the most difficult work. There is stuff you've got to do in your day, which you know is going to be draining. You know it's going to be hard. It's that tricky conversation, uh, that hard meeting. Um, if you keep putting off that task until the end of the day, not only has it spent the whole day bugging you, also it means when you finally get to it, you're probably going to be in an energy dip and it makes it even harder to think straight and get it right. So I was a terrible one for leaving the big thoughtful piece of paper, uh, the think piece, till the end of the day when the open plan was quiet and people had gone home and it was great in terms of the environment for getting stuff done 
but I would be looking at the screen and just could not find the words. And eventually I realized that this was just completely the wrong strategy. For me, it was better to come in early or to find time during the day to go and work in a coffee shop or a quiet space in, in a work. So it's about knowing your energy and using it really wisely. As I say, not just to do the kind of the fun stuff when you're full of energy, but also doing the difficult stuff then, because it's actually that much easier if you do. So my, my final suggestion would be to create a kind of energy map for yourself. It doesn't need to be anything sophisticated, but having a sense of how your energy flows through the day and the week. So are you an early bird or are you a night owl? that's a clear preference for many people that they do their best work first thing in the morning or they really only perk up mid-afternoon what are your best times during the week for getting work done I have a, a bit of a dip usually on Thursday afternoons and actually thinking about yesterday afternoon absolutely it was my Thursday afternoon dip but then I come back on Friday really fired up for that final day of the week I just know that that's the way my weeks run. So if I have a choice about it, Thursday afternoon is not going to be my best time for doing some really good work. So spend a bit of time just thinking about when do you have that burst of energy? When is it that you feel really drained? Trying to make sure you're doing your emails and your scut work and your rubbish in that kind of dip um, and keeping that best time for those really good conversations. And that's all I was going to say on the energy front. So it's over to Andrea to see if there were any questions or points that have come up there. Um, I'm while well, waiting for a question. There's a question for me, uh, which is what happens when you do work in a very extroverted environment and the way in which the, the group celebrates is through social interactions so whenever a, a meeting is over a project's over it's more and more social uh, activities and not joining in is seen as uh, you know negative how do you find the quiet time how do you have those conversations to say actually um the thank you would be for me to have a bit of quiet time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes let me scuttle off um, <laughs> um yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, it, would, it would be pretty tough to not take part in some of that social activity. Um, it might, frankly, be fun. <laughs> um, so perhaps going along but not expecting to stay the whole night if everyone's going to the pub um, or if something's been booked, you know, you might stay for, for part of it if you're feeling really whacked and slip away before the end um, and actually there is also I think a flip side of it is is to try and educate your colleagues a little bit you know okay so you all love going out um, on the, I don't know I can't think of anything good now but you know going out for a big social thing um, if you're the person who's won that project if you're the person who's led that thing why not make your own suggestion about what you'd like to do? Um, perhaps it might be something a little quieter or a little more contained. Um, so, you know, it's, it's getting people to think about that there are other ways of celebrating. Um, and even if there is a kind of a big thing going on, you don't have to be right in the middle of the room, right by the loudspeakers or whatever. Um, 
perhaps as a, a colleague who you can have a quieter conversation with. Um, so finding the quiet space within that crowded room. Uh, so there are some thoughts from me. Great. Thank you. Um, we haven't got any other questions coming in just now. Um, I was wondering while, while we're waiting, in case there's somebody who might have something else, is could we run over just the four points again, um, just to recap, and, and perhaps that might prompt uh, some thoughts. Okay, yeah, no, absolutely. That was next on my list anyway, uh, which was a final wrap up. So those, there were four strategies I talked about today. The first one being to know your strengths. Um, that's your absolute bedrock, your foundation, to know what you're really good at. Um, and then the second strategy is to use those strengths. If you know that's what you're good at, how can you use them? How can you use them in slightly different ways to unlock stuff that you currently find difficult? And can you construct your working day and your working week so that you're using those strengths for more of your time? All of us spend time when we're working using thing, using um, areas that we're not so comfortable with. But the more you can push the percentage up towards using your strengths um, at least 50% of the time, preferably more than that, the better the week you'll have. Uh, so know your strengths, use your strengths. Third one is about challenging yourself. What is it that you need to do for a small proportion of the time or just as a kind of tweak to the situation that you find yourself in so that those strengths can shine through. And the fourth and final one is about managing your energy, understanding your high points and your low points and organizing your work and your socializing and all of that sort of thing accordingly. And I suggested four little tasks that go with each and you know, hopefully you can put some of those into practice and find that you are developing your own success strategies and going on to do your best work. And so that was it from me, unless there are any more questions that have come through while I've been doing that little wrap up. Uh, no, they haven't. So thank you so much for, um, for sharing those strategies. I think they're really, really helpful. Great. It's been a pleasure. I really hope that it's been worthwhile for everyone who's tuned in. Um, do keep in touch with us through the Voice at the Table website. And I'm, I expect Andrea might have some closing remarks about, uh, about that. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope I'll see you at one of the Voice at the Table events um, in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, Katie. Um, yes, I do. Um, if you enjoyed that, um, Katie is presenting another um, Friday Voice, uh, How to Become a Storyteller, and that's on 15th of July 2016 uh, at 12.30. Same, same time, same place. <laughs> and it would be great if you could join us for that as well. And if you've got any other questions, please, as Katie said, feel free to contact us uh, at any point. So just Quick notes to go to voiceatthetable.com for all the resources. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you the next time. Thank you and goodbye.